Once an insider in the health insurance industry crafting messages in a battle against health reform, he's now telling secrets in hopes of affecting change. You're about to hear a health insurance public relations executive's story. You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, healthcare reporter with the Chicago Tribune, and joining me is Wendell Potter. Mr. Potter is the Senior Fellow on Healthcare for the Center for Media and Democracy, a Madison, Wisconsin-based advocacy group advocating for what it calls meaningful healthcare reform, and he also works as a consultant based in Philadelphia, providing various groups strategic communications advice and services. But before that, Mr. Potter's work in the nonprofit world followed a 20-year career as a corporate public relations executive in the health insurance industry. He most recently headed corporate communications for Signacorp, where he held various public relations roles for 15 years. Prior to that, he headed corporate communications for Humana Inc., another large health insurance company. He is a native of Tennessee and a graduate of the University of Tennessee. Mr. Potter, we are so happy to have you joining us today from your offices in Philadelphia. Welcome to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you very much. I appreciate this opportunity, Bruce. Now, Wendell, you and I go back a long way in my career as a print journalist. And tell me just about how your career has evolved because, you know, you have become a part of the story. You're always a behind-the-scenes guy as a PR guy. And now you've had a change of heart in how you view the health insurance industry or at least you're telling people more about what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, Bruce, uh, I was a journalist too myself. In my first career, I was a reporter and I left – and I can recall telling friends at the time, uh, rather than saying I was selling out and going to the dark side, that I was leaving because I wanted to be a participant in events rather than just a reporter of events. And But I never could have anticipated that I'd be the role that I'm playing now, or at least trying to play. And that is to provide people, kind of like as I would have tried to do when I was a journalist if I had known what I know now, about what goes on inside the insurance industry, inside individual companies, how these companies make money, what their motives are with uh, health care reform, and how... The industry operates, how it works uh, behind the scenes as much as, if not more, than what we see publicly in trying to shape health care reform. Well, tell us, and we have a large physician audience and you know, consumers around the world hearing about what's going on with health care reform. What are some of the things that took you aback over the course of the many years you were a PR person that just didn't sit well with you or that people might not understand go on? You know, as I climb the corporate ladder, I was able to see more clearly what the companies do to meet Wall Street's expectations. And and the two companies I work for are big for-profit companies. And now the health insurance industry is dominated by seven very large health insurance companies. So I was able to see over the course of the last 10 to 15 years how the industry has shifted from one that used to be dominated by nonprofit companies like the Blue Cross and Blue Shield companies around the country to one that is really beholden to Wall Street. And I saw that the I saw the links that these companies go to to meet Wall Street's relentless expectations. I was the person who reported or talked to reporters whenever my companies reported earnings, for example, every three months. So I had to know a lot about how the companies earn money, what they do to meet those expectations from investors. Those things include rescissions that we've been reading about in the news. That is, in which an insurance company will go back and review an application that a person filled out to buy insurance on the individual market after this person's been sick 
and their medical claims will start to come back into the insurance company. They'll look to see if the person might have omitted some important information that might have meant that the company would have either prohibited or you know, not sold the policy in the first place or would have charged a much higher rate. Here we're talking about pre-existing conditions. And also I uh, saw how the companies, and this is not as well known, will purge small businesses from their books of business if the cost of, the, of providing health insurance to these businesses exceeds what they thought it was going to cost. So that is one of the leading reasons why more and more small businesses are just no longer able to offer insurance to their employees. And I also saw an increased tightening of what they refer to as medical expenses. And this takes a form of denying coverage for a lot of things, a lot of procedures, treatments that are requested by physicians. And this is one of the ways, one of the many ways that these insurance companies now meet Wall Street's profit expectations, and that is by spending less and less money, less and less of every premium dollar on medical care and to pay claims for doctors and hospitals. I just have some new numbers that are coming out with you know, healthcare costs going up 10% every year and small businesses paying even more. A lot of times the health insurance industry, there are many reasons for that, but when you're telling us about business practices that deny people, you kind of wonder really what are the underlying reasons for costs to go up. Do you think that is because of Wall Street's expectations or do you think it is because of the business practices? It is some of both. Wall Street uh, is a big factor now that wasn't a big factor 15 to 20 years ago. It's a bigger factor because Wall Street keeps a keen eye on what's called the medical loss ratio and that is the amount of money of every premium dollar that an insurance company gets or takes in in uh, insurance premiums and how much it pays out in medical expenses. In 1993, it was 95 cents out of every dollar was used to pay medical claims. Now it's down into the 80s, sometimes below 80 cents of every premium dollar. So that is one of the things that has taken place. And the other, of course, is uh, just one of the ways you get to be able to bring that medical loss ratio down is, is engaged in some of the practices I talked about. And the for-profit companies set the rules of the game, and even the nonprofit or insurers have to play pretty much by the same rules, and by doing that, they also benefit by the rates that they charge are comparable. There really is kind of a cartel of very large insurance companies now that control the marketplace. Yeah, and a lot of our viewers might not understand that the Blue Cross plans that used to be mutual, owned by policyholders or nonprofit, you know, just like a hospital maybe run by a, a foundation, have become for-profit and, say, access to capital and so forth. Are you an advocate of single-payer now, or what do you think in health reform, if you could give us an idea of how some of this could be remedied? Is it transparency? Is it a move to single-payer? What would you say? Well, it's some of all of that. Uh, transparency is absolutely vital. And there was a story that was reported earlier this week about the uh, pre-existing conditions that some insurers use to prohibit or to deny people coverage or, or not even quote for coverage. And they refuse, however, to offer what their underwriting criteria currently is. So there's very little transparency. And another area that there's very little transparency is in this area of medical loss ratio. It took a, a law in Texas, and not every state has passed the same law, that requires the insurance companies to disclose to their customers what their specific medical loss ratios are for any given book of business. Or for if you're an employer, you can now in Texas find out what the medical loss ratio was for your particular account. The Harris County Medical Society, which is in Houston, found out that even though its insurance company, it was a Blue Cross plan, as I recall, was demanding an increase in premiums of about 20%, 
when they were able to get the information that they were allowed to get now by state law, they found out that the medical loss ratio was only 9%, yet their insurance company was demanding a 20% increase in premiums. So that's an example of the difficulty that people have and employers have, customers have, and individual policyholders have in getting information they need to find out just how much of their money is actually being spent on medical claims. A single payer is something that should be explored in this country. It is something that has not been given consideration in a meaningful way in Congress because of the power of the insurance industry. Before we go into that, I just want to remind our viewers, if you're just joining us or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host. I'm with the Chicago Tribune. And joining me today is Wendell Potter. He's a senior fellow on health care for the Center for Media and Democracy in Madison, Wisconsin. But before that, for 20 years, he was a public relations executive with Humana and Cigna, two of the largest health insurance companies in America. And we're just talking about you know, whether he thinks that what kind of changes in health care reform. And one of you were just before I interrupted, you were talking about single payer. I mean, is it a good idea? It's something that we ought to, ought to take a serious look at. Canada has a single payer system. One of the reasons health care is so expensive in this country, one of the reasons why we spend more than $2 trillion a year on health care, and we spend more on a per capita basis than any other country on the planet is because of the administrative expenses that result from our multi-payer system. We hear a lot about the administrative expenses at the individual insurance companies, and it is large. All of the money that an insurance company takes in that it does not pay out in medical claims falls in the category of administrative expenses. It's now about 20 cents of, uh, on the average of, of every premium dollar. But beyond that, the multi-payer system that we have requires that all doctors and all hospitals have a very robust staff or have staffs that deal with this multi-payer system. There's very little standardization. Staff members have to be on the phone constantly trying to get a claim paid or provide additional information to an insurance company because a claim was denied for some reason or to try to get some preauthorization approved. So it adds an additional expense. McKinsey and companies in a study that it did a couple of years ago found that 30% of what we spend in this country on health care is consumed by these administrative expenses. It really is amazing. And if you were to give some good ideas that you learned from being in the health insurance industry 20 years, are some things that these companies did a few years ago that they may have stopped doing? Because, you know, they would say, I mean, you, you clearly work with some people who might have been trying to do good for their customers and keeping costs low. But my guess is that the, the employer clients didn't know a lot of these things were going on. No, they, they didn't know a lot of these things were going on and still don't know a lot of these things are going on. Employer customers are just about as clueless and in the dark as individual policyholders. It's very, very difficult to, if you're a policyholder, even get the language of what might not be covered, what the limits of your, your policy might be. Employers theoretically know this, but often this is especially true of small employers. They rely on brokers who uh, presumably know a lot about the companies that they're selling for, but a lot of it is just blind faith. And, and also, employers look more to cost than they do to value in many ways, or at least to quality. And that's especially true as the premiums keep going up and up and up, and employers are having more and more of a difficult time offering benefits or being able to subsidize benefits. You know, you look primarily at how much is it going to cost rather than how rich are the benefits, how adequate are the benefits. 
And the interesting thing, I mean, with the ERISA bill certainly protects companies from certain lawsuits, but if you're a small business and you're buying an insured plan and you don't know a lot of this stuff is going on, I mean, you could still open, be opening yourselves up to lawsuits. Oh, it's true. Small business owners are not nearly as protected from litigation as large employers, as you mentioned, because of the ERISA law. About 75 million workers in this country are in plans, if not more than that, that are protected by ERISA, which means that they're shielded from most lawsuits, except those that might be brought in federal court. And even if they are brought successfully in federal court, the employer and the insurance company won't have to pay anything more than just the value of, of what might have been denied in the first place. There are no remedies beyond that. If you're fully insured, you are subject to state laws. You have to abide by all the state regulations, and you're more susceptible to being uh, for a successful lawsuit to be brought against you in state court. What would you give members of Congress and the president if you could give them one piece of advice going forward from your more than two decades of experience in the health insurance industry? What should this health reform plan include? Well, it has to include a public uh, insurance option, and I know that the opponents of health care reform in the insurance industry is trying to make us believe that that idea is dead. It is not dead. I've talked to many members of Congress, both on the House side and the Senate side, and there is a lot of support, and there continues to be very, very strong public support for a public option. That's vital because it would be a balance to the power and influence of Wall Street, and a public option would also be able to offer a standard benefit package at a lower cost than the private market because of it would not have the need to make a profit and it would not have the need to have the exorbitantly high administrative expenses that the private insurance industry has. Now, that would not be enough to drive the insurance companies out of business by any means. It would just make them operate more efficiently and with more of a consumer focus than they currently have. There is no current balance or counter to Wall Street's expectations. So that is, number one, the most important thing in my view. Almost all the bills pertain elements that would make a lot of the current practices illegal, such as using pre-existing conditions to deny people coverage or to exclude certain things from coverage. That should have been made illegal a long time ago, and Congress certainly recognizes that. What they don't recognize, though, I don't think, is exactly where the insurance industry would like to take the country in terms of insurance coverages, even with the best reform that we've got out there and on the House side, it still leaves the insurance industry pretty much in control or very broad latitude on the kinds of policies and plans that it'll be offering. And they're shifting more and more of the cost of health care to consumers. Well, with that, I'd like to thank Wendell Potter, who's been our guest. He's a senior fellow on health care for the Center for Media and Democracy. And he's a former public relations executive for the insurance industry, working for Humana and Cigna, and he brings us a lot of insight into industry practices that a lot of people have not been aware of for a long time. I'm Bruce Japson with the Chicago Tribune. I've been your host, and you've been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on the air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, and I'd like to thank you today for listening.